0: Isaiah chapter 46. And we're going to read verse 10. Actually, let's go back and start with verse 8. That's actually the beginning of the paragraph. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion, for Israel my glory." When we concluded the last time, we were speaking about three things, and I know some of you asked me, and I wanted to give you the words again if you are taking notes uh, before we get back into the decrees of God. But the first one was orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is simply correct doctrine or correct teaching. This means that our content is right. That's first and foremost. We can agree to disagree on a number of different things. We can agree... Uh, who, who was it? Somebody came up to me this morning and asked me what um, I thought in regards to why did the angels fall? Or why did the demons originally fall? Or why were they locked up? And I said, well, probably because they were Dallas Cowboy fans. And of course, I was joking, but that that's, you know, we, we can... Yes, we can joke about things like that, but what really is important is, as we look at Ezekiel and Isaiah, for example, the real reason that they fell was because of pride. That was the real reason. They stood against the Most High God. And in standing against them, we had two groups of angels who fell. Of course, the first ones are those who became what we know as demons. And then the second became those who were held in a place called Tartarus. We have talked about that in the book of Revelation. I believe this is the first part of that. Is those demonic locust-like creatures that come out from the abyss uh, in Revelation chapter nine? But orthodoxy is important, and the reason is because ultimately, you can have somebody who is a uh, you can have somebody who is say a false teacher. Um, you can have somebody who is a false preacher, like some of the people that we have talked about in the past. And they can actually take what is a true doctrine and spin it just a little tiny bit. Most people will never even know. And what ends up happening? You end up with false doctrine. So orthodoxy is important to have correct doctrine to be able to make sure that our content is right. Second word was orthopraxy. Orthopraxy is correct living And this means that our lifestyle is right. Again, as I shared with you before, my dad often said to me that if my position is right, but our disposition is wrong, then our position ends up becoming wrong. And so it's important that when we are striving to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, that we do so according to his word, not do so according to the foibles of man, not do so according to the traditions of man or, or even the creeds of man, because no creed is perfect. I mean, no matter matter which creed you look at or even a doctrinal statement, ours even says that, that this is not something that is infallible. Only the word of God is infallible. So that was the second word, to have not only correct doctrine, but also to be able to have correct living. But the third one, I believe, is just as important, and it is orthopathy, O-R-T-H-O-P-A-T-H-Y. And this means that we have not only a right content, not only a right lifestyle, but we also have right emotions or and or affections. We said that to deny a right doctrine or teaching at worst does produce false teachers or false preachers. To deny a right lifestyle is essential, and many times it can have its own motives. We can seek to avoid confrontation. We can... Oh, pulled my notes too quickly. We can refuse to address a sinful lifestyle. We can refuse to obey clear commands found in scripture, etc. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can end up being what is known as being a legalist. And that's what we want to try to avoid. And then finally, we saw that to deny that right emotions or affections are necessary leaves us open to a wide range of external sources. For example... I know what the Bible says, but I also know what I felt, or I know what I experienced. So what are we saying when we say that our emotions are that important? We are denying the truth of God's word, because it has nothing to do with our emotions. I mean, have you felt any at any time in the last, oh, I don't know, year that you weren't saved? Did you feel like you were struggling in some particular area? I know I have. Does that mean that all of a sudden now we're not saved? Absolutely not. Because again, it is not us that keeps us. It is God that keeps us. But we need to make sure that our emotions and our affections are not opening us up because there are times if we're not careful that our emotions or our feelings will get us in trouble. I believe that as we've been looking at the decrees of God, we saw that they were wise. We saw they are free. We saw that they are absolute and unconditional. And this is what we see also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. My counsel shall stand, and I will do all of my pleasure. Sorry, that's from Isaiah chapter 46. But the Lord, the, the Lord Jesus Christ himself decreed the salvation of his elect and decreed to work faith in them. So how is he going to do that? By his counsel. When we consider, for example, turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man, and I want to use the converse, the reverse, the negative side of this, if you will, to be able to point this out, what what we are talking about in regards to the unconditional counsel of God. Blessed is the man who does what? There are three things here that are in this verse. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, and three sit in the seat of the sconfer, sit in the seat of the scoffers this is the same word that he is referring to in regards to the counsel of god that we find in isaiah chapter 46 my counsel shall stand so this is what it looks like on the negative side or on the worldly side the man who is blessed or the man who is happy is going to live in a way that he's not going to follow the counsel of the world I mean that's really what it boils down to because you find a progression here. What what happens if you start walking and you're walking, you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're as you're walking along, all of a sudden you see a different path, like maybe Pilgrim's Progress, or Christian did in Pilgrim's Progress, and it veers off just a little bit. Degression. Degression. And what happens then? What, what Degression. Yeah. What ha- what happens then when we start walking that path? Something catches our eyes, going back to YouTube, for example. Yeah. Temptation. Temptation. And what happens after we start walking in a certain path? What happens then? We get right? But you go downhill. But what, what's the next step? What, what does it show here in Psalm 1? You stand. You stand. Mm-hmm. In, in other words, have you ever come upon an accident? Yeah? What happened? Well, he's been in one. So, what happens? You come upon an accident. What does everybody start doing? Slowing down. down. Rubbernecking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? So, what are they doing? They're not stopping, they're not rendering assistance, but they're also creating what? Traffic jam. Traffic jam? So this person who is driving along instead of continuing to bypass, and they're not slowing down because they're trying to obey the police officers or the the medical workers. They're, They're driving slow because they want to see, oh wow, did you see that? The whole bumper was off on that car. So what ends up happening then is not only do they walk by the counsel of the ungodly, but then they stand in the way of sinners. And by standing, the word or the reference here is to accept the counsel as being acceptable. This isn't the person who's actually doing the sin yet. We still have one more step that we're following. So we walk by, we see it out of the corner of our eye, we see something we shouldn't, we listen to something we shouldn't, we whatever it may be in our life... And then the next thing you know, we're standing there and we're saying, well, that's an acceptable acceptable path. That's an acceptable course of action. So what is the third logical step in this progression or degression? Join, Join them. Now, do you remember going back to Lot, for example? Do you remember what happened with Lot? Mm-hmm. He's standing up on the hillside. He looks across. He's standing there with Abraham. Now, I don't know. Huh? He's standing close by- pitched his tent. But, you know, it actually started before then, because in the Middle Eastern culture, the Middle Eastern culture is to give deference to the older man. Abraham is the older man. Lot should have insisted, no, Father Abraham, I am going to allow you to make the choice. After all, God had already given him all the land. Or better yet, what he should have said was this, how about you just pick a place for me to go, Father Abraham, and I will follow it. I will live there. I will take my, my, my flocks. But you know what happened? He had a wife that liked what she saw in the city. He had children who ended up being married to some of those people who were in the city. And then we find that he's actually sitting in the city and the people of the city are coming to bring him questions of wisdom and he's actually considered one of the wise men of Sodom and Gomorrah. How low can you get? You know why? Because of this digression. He goes from walking not in the, the council of the wicked, he then stood, he pitched his tent in the gates of the city and next thing you know, he's not living in a tent anymore now, he's actually living in the city in a house. But, here's the other side of this, but the man who is blessed, now remember we're talking, there, there are several trifectas that are found here in, the, in Psalm 1, but here he says, his delight is in what? Again, he's referring to not walking in the council, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, somebody turn to Psalm 19 for me. 19. Psalm 19. And read verse 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. Sorry. Keep going. 7 three? through 11. Okay. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever rules of the Lord are true, and the righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. What is he warning him of? What is he he warning him of? What, What do the scriptures warn us about? Not to get away from Not to get away from the decrees of God. But do you notice some of the words that are here? Rejoicing the heart. Let me put it in modern English. You're driving along and the speed limit and the light is blinking in a school zone and it's 20 miles an hour. Lord, I am so thankful today for that 20 mile an hour zone that I had to run through. No, not speed through. I'm talking about just driving 20 miles an hour. I'm thankful I came this way today, Lord, so that I could have to slow down to 20 miles an hour in my car. Anybody do that? No. Oh, I don't do that. But this is what he's talking about here when he is saying rejoice in the heart. In other words, the counsels of God. And yet we come to the Word of God and people are like, oh, wow, that's a, like a really big book. There's a lot of rules in there. Do I have to obey all of them? And you know what we do? We end up complaining. We end up complaining because the rules are there to keep us out of trouble. The rules are there for the purposes of what? Reminding us that we are just strangers passing through. We're, we're, we're on our way to a better land. We're on our way somewhere where we don't have to worry about sinning anymore. Is His delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. Now, here's the example. My girls had studied the DMV, little guide, and they wanted to get their permits. And the first time we went, they both failed. And so I asked them, why did you fail? Because I didn't study enough. (laughs) Wow, Dad was right on that one. But you know, when they studied, they went back a second time, and they passed it. The reason why we have the Word of God is because there are too many times, day by day, hour by hour, sometimes minute by minute, there are times that we find ourselves not obeying the Word of God and we end up getting ourselves in a world of hurt. We end up getting ourselves in all kinds of trouble. We find ourselves at odds with one another. We we find ourselves wishing that we could do something else or we could be something else. But why do you think the world is where it's at with, with all of the nonsense about gender ideology? Because they don't like the laws of God. They don't like the counsel of God. And it's not going to get any better whatsoever. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's in Congress. It doesn't matter who's in offices here in the state of Wyoming. People are going to continue going the way that they do because they don't like the rules. For example, let me give you a couple of illustrations. When a child is growing up and they learn to talk, what's normally one of the first words that they learn? no why Yeah. so when a child turns three or four and you're following mom and dad in the grocery store and the kid asks the girls tell me about this all the time they're not in a grocery store but they tell me this happens all the time so the mom comes in and the kid comes in or sometimes several kids and they're going down I want that I want that and the mom says no and what does the kid do they start crying, they start having a temper tantrum, and then what happens? Uh, good luck on that one. That doesn't happen anymore. I'm not saying what should happen, I'm saying what actually happens today if you walk into the store. Mom gives in. So as they get older, we're trying to teach these kids, as I have stated often with my kids growing up, no means no, don't ask again. Now, if our girls come up and they ask me for something and I tell them no about something, they're now at a point at their age where I can discuss with them and we can have a reasonable discussion, mostly reasonable discussion, as to why we're not going to do whatever it is that they're asking about or whatever. But listen, when a child is three or four years old, there's no reasoning. They just don't like no. That's it. And you know, how many times is it that we in our lives can often do the exact same thing? God gives us His command in His Word. He expects us to rejoice in His Word. Not just obey His Word, but to rejoice in it. To consider that His Word is sweeter than honey. And sometimes it's like, I've got to read my Bible, otherwise, the pastor's going to ask me if I read my Bible again. Instead of saying, Lord, thank you for your word, thank you that you have given us. Can you imagine in the Old Testament, David never had the whole Bible? We've got the entire completed word of God. And because we have that, we can follow the counsel of the Almighty. On his law, he meditates day and night. You know, brother, brother Doug, I am I am so thankful that you shared what you did. Everybody here doesn't have the same problem. Everybody here doesn't have the same issue. Some people here may have never even watched a YouTube channel or couldn't find it if they knew where to go to. But that doesn't mean that they don't have problems. And whatever it is that you have a problem with, if you're taking something out but you're turning around and you are meditating on the law of God and meditating on His Word day and night or more than we have before, you know, it's, it's on the authority of God's Word. It's going to change you and I. Guaranteed. Look what he says. He, this same blessed man, the man who follows the counsel of God the one who is willing to obey God's counsel, the one who finds pleasure as God does, I will do all of my pleasure. And then when we come to prayer, for example, or we come to whatever it is that's going on in our life, we then could rightly say, Lord, I am thankful for whatever it is that you're placing in my life at this time. Do you ever do that? Do I ever do that? It's hard to do that. He is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It yields its, it yields its fruit and its season, its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does he prospers. Why is he prospering? Because he's obeying God. Because he's obeying God. Now the prospering here doesn't mean that we're going to find more money in our bank account. That's health, wealth and prosperity teaching. It may mean that God gives us blessings untold in other manners. You shared about being able to help out a woman. You don't know whether you'll ever see that woman again in your life. You don't know what she's going to do with it. You gave it as unto the Lord. When you give it as unto the Lord, what do you have to do? You. Take your hands off. Not mine anymore. You give it to God. And, and, and when we are looking at the Word of God, there's a, our, uh, there's a hymn, for example, and it's, Consecrate my life, Lord. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. And I think that if we do the same thing in every aspect of our life, not just the $100 bills, but every aspect of our life, Lord, Your counsel is best. Your pleasure, You will do all of Your pleasure. Help me to get out of the way. But we don't like getting out of the way. We want to be the pilot. And if we can't be the pilot, we want to be the co-pilot. And what we end up doing is we try to demand from God, no, Lord, I want you to turn this way or I want you to turn this way at the end of the street. No. We don't have the right to be able to ask God of those things. He does what is in his will to do. It is all of his good pleasure. Why? Brother Al asked it this morning. Or somebody asked, why did... God do all of these things? Why did he knowingly, or know that Adam and Eve was going to do this and still allowed the world to continue? Why allow all these people to be born before the flood and yet wipe them all out with the flood so that he might bring honor and glory to himself? That's it. We can't understand the ways of God. We can't understand think about some of the people that we had here this morning, for example. I mean, some of these people are just, if you meet them and you sit down and talk with them, they're just as nice as they can be. It certainly appears that way anyway when we're talking with them. And then all of a sudden they walk in one day and they say, Hey, I've got cancer. What do you say? I mean, this is really where the rubber meets the road because if we truly believe in the counsel of God, if we truly believe in the counsel of the Almighty, what are we going to do with our lives? We're either going to surrender to Him in every single aspect or we're going to start blaming God for everything that takes place. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. God works all things after the counsel of His own will. Look at verse 6. This is the last part that I'm going to read from Psalm 1. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Bible says that the steps of a good person or a good man or a good woman are ordered by the Lord. So if our steps are ordered by the Lord, then why do we fret? Why do we worry? I mean, you can go, I, I saw something not too long ago, about a couple, a couple of weeks ago, we were over at the Christian bookstore, and, and one of the books that was in there was 365 times. The Bible says, do not worry or fret not. And yet we fret all the time. We worry. We fill our heads, we fill our minds with all the things of the world, and then then when things get rough, then we start going to God. We will always find ourselves in a mess. If that's our solution, is to go to the world, is to go to worldly wisdom. Instead of going to God's word. I'm going to close with this illustration. My daughter and I were talking earlier today. And I was sharing with her because she was asking about somebody at work. And I said, uh, you know, you won't understand right now why I tell you the things I do. Because, well, number one, she's 17." I've said, right? Those of you who are parents. But I shared with her in love and I said, listen, you're not going to understand right now. You may not understand until you have children of your own and you have to make some very hard decisions. And then they're not going to understand just like you don't understand, just like I didn't understand, just like I'm sure my parents didn't understand. And all the way back to Adam and Eve for a surprise. I said, but the reason that we put the rules in place that we do is because we have been given a task by God to be able to protect you to the best of our ability. If you want to get out when you're on your own, if you want to get in a car and you want to drive 70 miles an hour through a school zone, you're going to have to face the consequences for that. I would hope that you don't do that, but what if you do? That doesn't mean that I'm not going to love my daughter anymore because she drove 70 through a school zone and got a $1,000 ticket. Or had her license pulled. So what do I do? I continue to love. I continue to help her to be able to make decisions that are made from wisdom. Knowledge. The things that we learn and that we gain by experience. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you, if you could go back and do it all over again, wouldn't you like to have the wisdom if you could think back? Wouldn't you like to have the wisdom that you have now when you were 20 years old? I mean, I wouldn't want to redo all that again. No, no, <laughs> no. But if we could go back and redo that, I mean, it would be nice to have that kind of wisdom. Yeah. It would be a big step up. Is there really any difference between us and the Lord when he corrects us in something that we're doing in our life? I mean, we can either balk, we can either be like, Saul was, or Paul, when he's on the Damascus Road and he's saying, I'm kicking against the goads, I'm kicking against the ox pricks that were used to be able to force a cow to go down the road. We can say, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And what does the Lord do? Sometimes he has to prod a little harder. And when he prods a little harder, it brings pain. But discipline is discipleship. And discipleship brings us more into being with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is what he promises. That that, that is what he tells us in Romans chapter 8, that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What is it going to take? Whatever God wants in our lives to make that happen, that's exactly what's going to happen. That's his counsel. That's the counsel of the Almighty. We either choose to follow it or we don't. And if we don't, we've got to pay the price for it. There is a responsibility that man has to be able to obey God. The question is, are we going to obey Him? Or are we going to follow the counsel of the world? If we follow the counsel of the world, we can't expect to be blessed by God. It's that simple. The word blessed, to be happy. Do you want to be happy in your life? Do you want to be content? Simply follow the law of God. They're not there to to, to make us grimace. They're not there to make life miserable for us. I know we think that way sometimes when we're kids growing up. We think, oh man, one more rule. And then we get out of high school and we realize, man, there's a ton of rules out there. I'm just going to guess here. But you're in the nursing field, right? Right? You probably don't have too many rules you've got to follow, right? One or two pages worth. (laughs) Painting, driving, it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you do in your life, there are rules, there are guidelines, there's a guidebook that you have to follow. And it's no different from the Word of God. The difference is that one day you'll retire. The Lord is gracious. You'll retire and you won't have to worry about that anymore. You won't have to worry about painting anymore or driving a truck or whatever it may be. Brother, yeah, he's ready. Brother Corey was saying that he was, uh, he, he just a couple of weeks ago, he went through his yearly inspection and he said, I dread that time of year. But it's done for a reason. Have, what have you gone through in your life? Are you following the Lord? I hope so. Follow His counsel. It's the best thing you can do and you will be filled with true joy. Not false joy. Let's pray. Lord, I am thankful again for Your Word. But I'll be honest, there are some things about Your Word that I don't always like. I can be at times in my own life, there are times when I can be like the man in Psalm 1. And instead of delighting in the law of God, I delight as even Paul said in the book of Romans. Sometimes we can delight in the inner man. Sometimes we can delight in that which displeases you. And as Paul said, the good that I would do, that's not what I'm doing. And the bad things that I'm not supposed to be doing, that's exactly what I'm doing. Who will deliver us from this body of flesh? And yet Paul gives great rejoicing in the next chapter. He says... There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So, Father, as we go from here this evening, may you be glorified in every aspect of our lives. Help us to follow your laws, even when we don't like it. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.